Why, good morning. So this uh, past Thursday, uh, Jamie and I uh, had the privilege of eating out with Russ and Lois at their house, along with uh, some of their grandkids, four of their grandkids, including Liam um, back there. And we had a good time. Uh, they were very good to us. It was Russ's birthday. Um, yay, Russ. Um, uh, we, we enjoyed the company. I, I like to enjoy hanging out with Liam and some of his cousins as they're, uh, they're around my age. And I don't really have many guys here uh, around uh, my age unfortunately. But they were talking, Liam and his cousins, and uh, they were talking about a book club uh, that they started. And I went home that night, and I told Jamie, he's like, man, I need some friends that encourage me to be smart and read books and do stuff like that. <laughs> and, and so I had one friend in mind, uh, Jacob, who, who's currently at uh, the Bible college right now. And so the following day, uh, I, I asked him, yo, Jacob, on a scale of one to ten, how interested would you be in, in starting a book club? And he replied, eight, ten, if it's a good book. Uh, so, so we went ahead and started a book club, just uh, the two of us. Uh, we, I went to the library that same day. I got my library card. Um, and we wanted to go with more of a classic novel to start. So we're reading Moby Dick. So if you've read Moby Dick, don't spoil it for me. Has anybody... <laughs> Anybody in here has read a Moby Dick before? Okay, yeah, a handful of you guys. Don't spoil it for me. No spoilers. I, I'm only on page 60 or so, and he, he seems like he's still setting the scene. He, he's, he's very slow about it, but, but I, I'm getting there, and, and I'm enjoying it. And if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be starting a book club, I would have called you crazy. I would have called you insane, because also on top of that, I was talking uh, Saturday and Friday. I was like, you know what? Tomorrow, I think I'm going to go to the library again. And for those of you who don't know, Monday is my day off. I'm talking about going to the library on my day off. If you would have told me that 10 years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way in the world I'd be going to the library on my own free will on my day off. <laughs> November, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be busy then for sure, uh-huh. So yeah, I would have called you crazy because 10 years ago, I hated to read. I absolutely hated to read. I told you guys a story when I was in fifth grade and we had reading time. We got to read whatever we want and I had my Robin Hood book and I would literally pretend to read the book, move my eyes from left to right because I hated to read that much. And I hope my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Vanillon, doesn't hear this because he nominated me for the Citizenship Award and I don't think he would have nominated me if he knew I was just pretending to read in his classes. So Mr. Vanderline, Mr. Vanderline, if you're out there, I'm sorry. I hope you forgive me. But we all have things in our life that we hate. Uh, some of us uh, may hate a, a certain type of food or have a certain pet peeve. What, what pet peeves do we have out here that people just absolutely cannot stand? Chopping your gum. Chopping your gum. Yes. What, what are some other things that you just cannot stand that you hate that some people do? Ba bouncing the basketball. Bouncing the basketball. It, Fork on the plate, all like screeching it across. Ah, yes, oh, yes. If you're like my wife, uh, one of her pet peeves of mine is that I insist on singing a song even if I don't know any of the words. So I'll be over there, la, 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 making up my own words, and she can't stand it. I was driving her crazy last night. We watched uh, the, the new Live Lion King, and the songs are a bit different. I don't really know the songs that much, but I insisted on singing them because they sounded fun. And I was driving her a bit crazy uh, yesterday. 
Um, but we all have pet peeves uh, that, that just drive us crazy. You're talking about cutting a line, pe- people chomping on their gum loudly, or people not using their turning lane. Does, does that drive anybody else crazy? Not just me, when people don't use their, dri- their, their turning signals. They're there for a reason. How about the University of Michigan? Anybody cannot stand the University of Michigan? Yeah, can I get an amen there? I'm sorry, Todd. I'm sorry. Your, your, team, your team performed yesterday. But we all have stuff that we just cannot absolutely stand, stuff that we hate. We all hate some things in our life. If we're all going to be honest, we, we hate some things. And the question we have to ask ourselves then, is this okay? Is it okay to hate as Christians? Is that a morally acceptable thing for Christians? And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning is, is it okay to hate? And Solomon addresses this answer in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. One of the five books of poetry, right after Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Solomon uh, wrote uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon uh, was the wisest king uh, that there's ever been, as God gifted him uh, with immense wisdom. And in his immense wisdom, uh, he he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and starting in chapter 3 of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Finally, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So here's Solomon in in all of his immense wisdom. He says that there's a time for everything. There's a time for everything. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to seek, a time to lose. And he he gives off this huge list uh, of of different things where there's a time appropriate for. And surprisingly, what, what some of us may find surprisingly, is that Solomon says there is a time to hate. He says in verse 8, if you didn't catch that, he says, a time to love and a time to hate. And so so there's our answer to our question. Is is it okay to hate as as Christians? And here we see that, yes, there is a time to hate. For us Christians, there there is a time to hate. Now, the important question where we're going to spend the majority of this morning is, is what or who exactly are we to hate? Because Solomon makes it clear here that there is a time to hate. There is morally acceptable a time for us to hate. And so we have to ask ourselves, well then, who is okay to hate? Or what is okay to hate? Because again, he informs us there's a time to hate, but here he, he doesn't exactly say when it is appropriate to hate. He, he just says that there's a time to hate, as there's a time for everything. There's, there's a season for everything. So this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, two questions. One is, who are we to hate? And number two, we're going to take out uh, what we are to hate. So we're going to start off with, who are we to hate as Christians? And to to start off uh, with a biblical approach, and and again, we're we're taking a biblical approach to this, because our our authority solely comes from from God's scripture, sola scriptura. 
And so to start with this conversation as who, so we're talking about people, who are we to hate? It's important for us to have in the back of our minds uh, the second greatest commandment. We won't flip there because we, we've gone over there a number of times, and I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with it. But if you aren't, uh, a Pharisee, a scribe, asked Jesus what was the single most important commandment throughout all of the Scripture. And there was over, there was over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. And so the scribe asked Jesus, what is the single most important commandment? And Jesus says, the first one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So the single greatest commandment in all the earth is to basically love God with all that you have, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so the scribe asked him, what is the single greatest uh, commandment? And Jesus answered that. However, Jesus did not see it fit to end there. Jesus needed to include the second greatest commandment. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the second single greatest commandment for us as Christians is to love our neighbors, is to love the people around you. And when Jesus says neighbor, he's not talking just about the people who live to the right of you and to the left of you and to the, uh, across the street. He's talking about basically anybody who you come into contact with. You are to love them. Anybody who you come into contact in your life, you are to love them. That is the second single greatest commandment in all of the scriptures, is to basically love everyone. That, that, that's, that, that covers everyone. Anybody that you come into contact with, that covers everyone. That's the second single greatest commandment, is to love everybody. Every single person we are to love. And Jesus didn't just make this commandment up. He, he quoted it directly um, from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And again, he's saying that we need to love everybody. Everybody. And, and we see more uh, proof of this. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 6. Over in the New Testament, uh, the third uh, synoptic gospel uh, in chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 27 uh, through 36 as Jesus is talking about, and he's talking about this idea of loving others. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, when Jesus is talking, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So here Jesus goes over the, the tricky question. When, when Jesus, uh, he already said that we are to love everybody. Well, what, what about those, the, our enemies? What about the people who are just really, really bad? They, they do a lot of bad things. Are, are we even supposed to love them? And Jesus simply states, but I say to you here, love your enemies. We are to even love our enemies. And not only does he just say pray, or not only does he say love, love your enemies, but he says pray for them. Pray for those who abuse you. 
<laughs> what strong words here. Jesus is saying, pray for your enemies. I mean, if, if you're dealing with anger in your heart, if, you, if you're just really mad at someone, then I encourage you to pray for them. Pray for them. That, that, that's what Jesus says here. And I believe that God will, will start to make things work in your heart and, and you'll come around. For Jesus set, tells us to pray for enemies, to pray for those who abuse us. So here we see that even our enemies, we are to love. Even the, the, the most wicked people of the earth, we are to love. For we are to love everybody. Everybody here on earth, we are to love. Not even our enemies are we to hate, but we're to love our enemies. We're, we're to pray for our enemies. We're, we're to give to our enemies. Jesus says, what good is it if you love someone who loves you? He says, even the sinners do that. The real challenge comes when you love someone who doesn't love you in return. That's a challenge. That's hard to do, but that's what Jesus is calling us to do here in, in Luke chapter 6, is to love even our enemies. And so when we look at this question as far as who are we to hate, the simple answer is nobody. Nobody. Not a single person are we to hate. Jesus' emphasis was on loving. He, he, his emphasis was on loving God and loving people. If you love God and if you love people, you're on the right track. You are, you are absolutely on the right track if you love God with all that you have and if you're loving your neighbors as yourself. Jesus was even ostracized for doing this because Jesus took the enemies. Jesus took the, the tax collectors and, and the sinners, that really the, the, the lowest of the low, like, like the crumb of the earth. And Jesus took those people and he fellowshiped with them and, and, and he ate with them. He had dinner with them and he spent time and he loved on these people. He loved on the enemies of the society. And here we have the Pharisees who, who were big into the law and they were ostracizing Jesus. They were re rebuking Jesus for associating, for loving on the, these tax collectors and sinners. But here we see Jesus, not only his words, he didn't only talk the talk, but he walked the walk. He loved everybody that he came into contact to. <laughs> Another great example is when he was hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. I mean, Jesus was full of love for everybody, even his enemies. And we too, if we're to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, then we are to love everybody. Nobody is excluded in that command to love Nobody, not a single person. So again, when, when we look at who are we to hate, the answer is nobody. We are to hate nobody, and we are to love everybody. So we see that we aren't to hate anybody, and, and if you're still, I, I didn't think I had to do much convincing there, but if you have questions about that, you, you can ask me later if you're still not totally convinced. So we, we aren't to hate anybody, but yet here in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon does say there is a time to hate. And so if we don't hate anybody, and that means for, for a matter of fact, there's something, there's something that we must hate as Christians. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm uh, chapter 97. We're going to cover three verses real quick. We're going to do rapid fire, uh, so you don't necessarily have to flip to it. The, the verses will be um, behind me. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to look at three uh, short little verses that show us clearly what we are to hate as Christians. Because we know we're not to hate anybody, but we know we're supposed to hate something. And so if we aren't to hate anybody, then, then, it's, a, then it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we are to be hating. And so in Psalms 97, 
uh, verse 10, it says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So here the psalmist says, for those of you who love the Lord, raise your hand if you love the Lord. Yes, we, we, we all love God here as we're making this sacrifice to come to church. So he says, everybody here, all of you guys who love the Lord, you are to hate evil. Hate evil. Hate, hate this idea of sin, of disobeying God. Hate evil in of itself. And so we'll flip to Proverbs chapter 8. Again, we're, we're doing rapid fire here. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Here, we're all called to, to fear God, and people have uh, kind of uh, sometimes a poor idea of the idea of fearing God. We, we need a healthy fear of God. It's like a kid needs a healthy fear of his parents. I mean, a kid uh, should know if he's going to disobey uh, his parents, then he should fear the punishment that's coming ahead. I hope our son fears has a healthy fear of Jamie and I because that healthy fear will help prevent him um, from, from disobeying us. And so we all too, we're, we're, we're commanded to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We're, we're to respect his power that he has. And, and here uh, he says that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. So again, this idea of hating evil. And finally, uh, we flip all the way to uh, the book of Amos. One of the 12 minor prophets, book of Amos, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, uh, Amos chapter 5, verse 15. And it states, or I'll start in verse 14. It says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts will be with you as, he, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of, of Joseph. So here we see again this idea that we are to hate evil. We are to hate evil. We, we are to hate sin. We are, we are to hate the, 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 the concept, the idea of evil, the idea of sinning against God. That is what we are called as Christians to hate. And again, this idea of hating uh, can seem kind of uh, a bit taboo as Christians. You know, we're supposed to love. But no, here we see, yes, we're supposed to love, but at the same time, we are to hate evil. We are to hate evil. We see that over and over again. And these are just a couple of verses that I use. But, but it's talked about more, especially in, in the books of the poets, uh, where, where we see this idea of hating evil. And, and that's a strong message that we need to hear. Because oftentimes we don't get that message. We often just get the message of that we need to love everybody. Yeah, we need to love everybody. But at the same time, we need to hate evil. In, in, in Psalm uh, 101, I know we're flipping to a lot of scriptures this morning, but Psalm 101, uh, they, they make the careful distinction here between loving everybody and hating evil. In Psalm 101, verses 3 and 4, it says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. So here, uh, I, I like this psalmist, this psalm of David, as, as he kind of makes the distinction clear. As he says in verse 3, I hate the work of those who fall away. So here, see that, that careful distinction. Here, David is not saying that I hate the people themselves. He's not saying that I hate the people who fall away from God. But David is saying that I hate the, the works. 
I hate the actions. I hate the evilness. I hate the sin of these people who have fallen away. And so we see kind of this, this, this careful balance of, of loving everybody, loving everybody just as we love ourselves. But at the same time, we are to hate evil. And let me tell you, a lot of times people out in the world are committing evil acts. And so a lot of times I believe that we are called to hate their work. No, we're, we're not called to hate them as a person. As again, we're called to love everybody. Jesus says we are even called to love our enemies. But at the same time, it's necessary for us to hate the works of those people that we love. You know, you, you hear the idea of, of love the sinner but hate the sin. Um, it, it's, it's, that's not explicitly found in Scripture, but it's supported. I, I, I like that idea. I like whoever came up with that quote, love the sinner but hate the sin, because it is so true. We are to love the people themselves. We are to love those who have fallen away. We are to love the sinners of this world, but at the same time, we are to hate the sin that they commit. And this idea of hating this evil is so important because let me tell you, the, the, the motivating factor, the power of hate is so, so strong. Roger Stone, a political consultant, uh, said, hate is a stronger motivating factor than love. It says, hate is a stronger motivating factor than love. Now, I, I'm not uh, sure totally uh, what I uh, think about this, that hate is a stronger motivating factor than love. However, he's on to something. He's on to something as he's pointing out the power that hate has, as hate is such a powerful motivating factor. And I, I see this uh, when, when I scroll through Facebook, especially when it comes election time, uh, when, when we're talking about politics. Uh, the people, on the, the liberals and the conservatives, they're, they're constantly jabbing with each other. They're not so much building up their own candidate, but instead they're, they're hating on the opposing candidate. That's because the hate that we have for maybe the other political party is a stronger motivating factor than the love that we have for maybe your own political party. I mean, we see liberals are posting negative feedback about Donald Trump and conservatives at the same time, they're posting the negative feedback about Clinton, Sanders, and the liberal party. Both sides, both sides are guilty of this. They're not so much building up their, their own party, but they're attacking the other party. Why? It's because the hate that they have is so powerful. It is so powerful. That, that's just one example of, of the, the type of power, the motivating power that hate has. And that can be a good or bad thing. Just like technology is a very, is a very powerful thing, the internet is very powerful but we can use that power of the internet for either good or bad. And let me tell you this morning that you can use that power of hate for either good or bad. And here we see in the scriptures that we are to hate evil. We are to hate sin. We're to love the sinners. We're to love everybody, even our enemies. But we are to hate the works of the sinners. That, that's, that's such a careful distinction that we need to make this morning, is that no, we're not condoning hating people because you can't find that anywhere in the scriptures. But at the same time, you won't find anywhere in the scriptures that we are to love the works of, of the sinners. But a careful balancer, we need to love the people. We need to love those who have fallen away from God, but at the same time, we need to hate their evil works. We need to hate their evil deeds. We need to hate the sin that they commit and the sin that we commit as well. And there is such a strong danger of not hating sin. I mean, we, we see this over and over throughout Scripture. 
uh, we're in the ladies' Bible study in the youth. We're, we're going through the Old Testament right now, and we've been dealing a lot with the nation of Israel. And, and God wanted the nation of Israel, as they were making their journey before they conquered the Canaan, as they were wondering, God specifically wanted the nation of Israel to completely conquer the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. And so God wanted them to completely conquer and completely drive out the rest of the people. Why? Because the people, the Canaanites, they were wicked. <laughs> like they were really wicked. They, they were worshiping other gods. They were big into sexual immorality. And they even were sacrificing their own kids. I mean, that's how wicked these people were. And so we see why God wanted to completely drive these people out because God hated these wicked things that these people were committing. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites never fully conquered the land of Canaan and they never fully drove out the people of Canaan. And that was their downfall. That was their downfall. That's exactly what God didn't want to happen. And we, ask, and we may ask why. It's because I think that the Israelites did not hate the sin of the Canaanites enough. We see that the Israelites, they started to intermarry with the Canaanites and these other surrounding nations. These people who had these wicked practices and these wicked acts, these acts of worshiping other gods, these acts of sexual immorality, these acts of sacrificing their own kids. The Israelites did not hate it. They did not hate it. They, they were all right with it. So much so that they were even marrying people who were practicing those deeds. And again, that was the exact downfall of the nation of Israel. As we can see from, from biblical example, we can see the danger of not hating sin, of not hating evil. When we have that casual stance towards sin, when we have that casual stance towards evil, we'll end up just like the Israelites who, who fell into corruption. And so after a couple hundred years uh, after the Israelites conquered uh, the land of Canaan, uh, they, they ruled as one big nation, both Israel and Judah, under the kings Saul, uh, David, and Solomon. But after Solomon, the, the nation divided, the kingdom divided. There were the ten northern tribes, which made up Israel, and the two southern tribes of Judah. And Israel, after they split, was pretty much always corrupt. They're pretty much always evil. They, they, they were taking in this, this idea, the practice of worshiping these other foreign gods. But Judah was actually re, kind of remaining faithful time for, for some time and then not. But, but they were much more faithful than the people of Israel. But we, hear, but we see uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3, just the last verse that we're going to go to uh, the, this morning. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, verses uh, 6 uh, through 8. Uh, here, uh, Jeremiah is talking about, he says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Josiah was a king of Judah. And again, Judah was not really corrupt like the nation of Israel was. And so uh, Jeremiah uh, writes in, in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, the faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore, and I thought, after she had done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So here we see Jeremiah saying that in the time when the kingdoms were divided, the, the time of King Josiah, who was a king of Judah, he said that Israel was a faithless people because they were worshiping other gods. And he said, meanwhile, the, the, the southern nation, the southern kingdom, Judah, while they were remaining faithful, they saw what the nation of Israel was doing. And we see that Judah did not fear 
And we see that Judah too went and played the whore. That Judah went and they started worshiping other gods. Here we see that these two good southern tribes of the kingdom, the tribe of Judah, they were doing good. But they saw that the other ten tribes up north, Israel, they were doing bad and they saw it and they followed in their wicked practices. They're doing exactly what Israel was doing. They were worshiping other gods. And let me tell you, that, that's a big no-no. And we ask, why did they do that? Why, why were they worshiping the other gods, the Canaanite gods, just like Israel was doing? And we see that answer in verse 9. It could not be any more clearly. It says, because she took her whoredom lightly. She polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Because she took her whoredom lightly. Because Judah, the nation... They, they just kind of had a casual stance toward the wickedness of the nation of Israel. They took it lightly. They said hey, it wasn't a big deal that the nation of Israel was worshiping other gods. And that is exactly why the nation of Judah took part in the worshiping of other gods. It's because they did not hate the sin. They did not hate the works of the nation of Israel. And that's exactly what caused them to stumble, just like the nation of Israel, was their lack of hate for evil. We cannot have a casual stance towards sin. And again, we, we, we aren't to hate sinners. We're, we're to love those. We're to love everyone, even our enemies. The most wicked of the wicked, we're to love. But we're to hate the wicked things that they take part in. And when we don't, Trust me, you will stumble. You will stumble if you do not hate evil, if you, if you do not have that strong motivating factor of evil working against the power of sin. If you do not hate evil, you will stumble just like the nation of Israel and just like the nation of Judah did as they did not hate evil. And that's what brings me a lot of fear is that here I see in the Church of America is that we're, we're filled with people who do not hate evil. We're taking such a casual stance towards sin. We're letting other people dictate how we view sin. You know, the, the, the big thing a number of years ago and still taking place is the idea of tolerance. You know, we're, we're supposed to tolerate what other people do. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's not a Christian, and we should be all right with that. And we should be okay. We should tolerate their wicked works. Nowhere in the scriptures are you going to find the idea that we are to tolerate the wicked works of other people. Nowhere. Instead, we see the idea that we are to hate the wicked actions, the wicked deeds, the evilness of other people. For we are to hate sin. And, and, and again, I see Amer the Church of America being a church we're filled with people who have a casual stance towards sin. We have a casual stance towards sexual immorality, towards homosexuality, towards greed, towards all these other wicked practices. We have a casual stance. And again, nowhere in the scriptures are you going to see the idea that we need to tolerate these wicked practices. Instead, we see the idea that we are to hate that sin. We're to love the people, but we're to hate the works of these people, of the sinners. And we're to hate the works 
the, the, the wicked works of ourselves as well. I mean, I, my focus is on other people this morning. But we too, when we, when we sin, we need to hate the sin in our life. Because again, that sin is such a powerful, motivating factor. And so again, we need to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Again, you can't find this quote in the Bible, love the sinner, but hate the sin. But it's so true. It, it, support is found in, in the scripture. We're to love the people, but we're to hate their wicked practices. And don't let society, don't let atheists, don't let those who, who don't worship our God determine how we are to perceive their actions. Don't let them have that kind of control and power in your life, but rather let you get your, your ideas and your emotions and, and your influence from, from, the, from the Scripture. This is where our authority comes from. And through the Scriptures, we see that there's a time to hate and that time to hate is when we're confronted with evil, when we're confronted with sin. We are to hate evil. And we need to learn both from the Pharisees and the Israelites. As the Pharisees, they did a good job of hating sin. They, they, they were very legalistic. They, they hated it when people disobeyed the law. But at the same time, the Pharisees lacked the love for the sinners. And so we need to learn from their example. And unlike the Pharisees, we need to love the sinner. But like the Pharisees, we need to hate the sin. We also need to learn from the Israelites, who, didn't, who did a pretty good job of loving those around them. But unfortunately, they did not hate the sin. And so we need to find that balance somewhere in there, the balance of the Pharisees and the Israelites around 1000 B.C., we need to find that balance of loving our neighbors, loving the sinners, loving our, loving our enemies, but at the same time, we need to hate sin. Because again, if you don't hate sin, if you don't hate these wicked practices, then I'm telling you, you will stumble. You will stumble if you do not hate sin. And so I want us to be a church that together we, we, we love on the people. I look forward to events uh, like this evening, Trunk or Treat, where we're going to have a lot of people come in. And let me tell you, a lot of them are going to be partaking in, in wicked practices, but, but we need to love them. We need to love them for who they are. But at the same time, we are not called to tolerate their wicked practices, but instead we're called to hate sin. We're called to hate sin. So my message to you this morning is love the sinners, love everybody, but hate sin, hate evil. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for uh, this day. I thank you uh, for this church. I just thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church this evening uh, to show your love to show your love to the people uh, of this world. And Father, I just pray that, that we can be a church that, that where we love everybody that we come into contact with. But Father, I also pray that we can be a church that has a firm stance against sin. Father, I pray that, that we're not a church that, that falls to corruption like the nation of Israel. But Father, I pray that we are a church that loves sinners and hates sin. And Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the free gift of life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.